In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Hello, and welcome back to the Bravo Docket. We hope everyone had an enjoyable Easter holiday weekend this past weekend and apologize for this slightly late episode. I think moving forward, everyone can know that if it's a holiday weekend, we're going to take maybe that Sunday off and push the episode release just one day just to give ourselves a little bit of a holiday break. However, this is a really exciting, fun, juicy. I mean, I think every episode that we do is juicy, but this is... (laughs) This is fun. This is cool. Do you want to talk about what the episode is about, Angela? Yes. So on the Bravo docket for today, we are talking about the proposed complaint that Jay Edelson is planning on filing in California federal court. Um, I'm sure you guys all saw the stuff on social media. We've said that we're going to talk about it and we're really going to go into it. And there's two counts that include Erica. There's 10 counts total. Two of them include Erica. We're going to talk about all of it. We're going to talk about the other cast of characters and who is included. And then because I got really interested in it, you're going to hear a lot about RICO, which is the racketeering law that was created to take down the mafia, specifically the New York mafia. And yeah, Erica has one of those charges against her. So we're going to really go into it. Yeah, it was created to take down the the New York mafia. Now it might be used to take down the girardi Keese Mafia, <laughs> if Edelson has anything to say about it. So to give some context as to how this came to be, so this was an exhibit attached to a motion that Edelson filed in the Lion Air case. We've talked about Edelson a ton in our prior Erica Tom Girardi episodes. So if you need a refresher on who he is, we encourage you to, to go listen to those. And if you don't know anything about the Erica lawsuits, the Tom Girardi lawsuits at all, and this is your first episode of the Bravo Docket, we encourage you to go back and listen to those too. Edelson has now filed this motion to get the court 
to agree to an agreement that he made with the victims of the Lion Air plane crash. They were owed settlement money from Tom. They never got a portion of that settlement money from Tom. So what Edelson decided to do is front some of the money that they're owed to them, take on their claims as his own, and file on their behalf against Erica and this other cast of characters, which we'll explain who they are shortly. So the court approved that agreement, but in the motion, Edelson attached as an exhibit the draft complaint that he would maybe file or he planned to file against Erica and all these other co-defendants should that agreement be approved. So it was approved. He hasn't filed the lawsuit yet, but we have a draft of the lawsuit. We have a draft of the complaint, and that's what we're going to go over today. This is what he is planning to file in California against Erica, against some former partners, alleging that this was like a huge conspiracy, basically. Do you want to read from the complaint just to set the background as to what Edelson is alleging that the that Girardi Keese did. Yeah. So in this um, complaint, this federal complaint, Edelson starts out with, and I apologize. I'm going to have to apologize to everybody for my voice. I have asthma. I got a new type of inhaler and my voice, it's I it has an effect on my voice. So I'm sorry in advance, but that's why I sound kind of raspy. Um, all right. So in the beginning of this complaint, Edelson gives some background, basically saying how uh, they're alleging that the scheme worked. And they, they say this. So the basic scheme operated like this. When a new opportunity for cases came in, the firm would tap into its network of non-lawyers, sometimes called case runners, to find them injured clients. These individuals were paid with cash for getting clients to hire the firm, and this is in parentheses, which is illegal, and would take a cut of any eventual recovery for the client, parentheses, which is also illegal. And this is all just straight from the complaint. As an example, Hatcher, a non-lawyer consultant who was responsible for referring the families of aircraft victims, got hundreds of thousands of dollars to ensure that his referrals to Girardi were exclusive, along with a similarly illegal percentage of whatever the client eventually got. So within the firm, David Lira, that's Tom's son-in-law, and Keith Griffin, two of Tom's most senior lawyers, made sure that the client and lawyer-facing aspects of the scheme were managed and appeared to be on the up and up. Again, this is what Edelson is alleging in the written complaint. Uh, according to Edelson's written complaint, it said they struck deals the firm needed to get a case to settlement, like securing co-counsel and the locations a case would be filed, while in some cases committing to pay out more than 100% of the available fees. In other words, Lyra and Griffin would make deals with co-counsel with full knowledge that they were never going to be paid. Once a client's settlement money was funneled into the black hole that was Girardi Keys' scheme, Lyra and Griffin were tasked with fending off inquiries from clients and other lawyers about why that money never came back out. So when he's talking about uh, getting... Uh, counsel and locations where a case would be filed, you have to have local counsel. So Tom Girardi wasn't uh, licensed to practice law in every state where one of these big incidents happen or in every court. So you would typically have to get local counsel to do that, um, or you'd have to get admitted to whatever federal court that is. So that's what he means by the local counsel. Yeah, it's kind of like your 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 tag team into a court, kind of. <laughs> yeah. 
Ceci, take it from here. Administering from the inside was Cayman, the firm's accountant, who was responsible for disappearing client money out of the firm's trust account and funding the firm's operating accounts. From there, the firm made payroll, including paying Lyra and Griffin millions in salary, as well as paying off things like the American Express bill on which Erica and Tom debited more than $14 million in purchasing exorbitant luxury items, food, and services. Pausing here, we've talked about this Amex card, and we've posted the Amex bill on our Instagram. If you want to go look at it, we can repost it to our Patreon. It has all of the charges that she made, and it was a lot of charges to kind of fund her music persona, like promote her music persona, get her music videos done, all that. Just wild. Anyway, Erica acted as the front woman, this is quote, front woman of the operation, selling to the world, including unsuspecting clients, that Girardi Keese was successful and she was exceptionally good in the role. With tens of millions of dollars backing her, Erica shamelessly displayed a nationwide showroom of the money they stole on Real Housewives, famously spending $40,000 per month on her look and releasing a song called Expensive, Featuring the refrain, which Angela and I love to repeat on our podcast, (laughs) it's expensive to be me. And when push came to shove and the fraud was close to being exposed, Erica clamped down on misleading the public into believing that an otherwise damning lawsuit was false and that the plaintiffs behind it were forced to apologize to Tom and the firm. So what they're referring to in this complaint is when she was on Watch, Watch What Happens Live. And Andy asked about another lawsuit, which we've mentioned before. It was like the Arizona lawsuit. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was one of the ones that she was that we know of that she was named in uh, first. So that we know of that she was named in first. And so she was named as a defendant in that lawsuit. And that's what she was talking about on Watch What Happens Live. That's what she was asked about. And she, according to Edelson, just outright lied um, about it and said that uh, they had to apologize Um, so that's what he's talking about there. She also said she makes her own money, um, which she does on Real Housewives. But as we've seen from the American Express card and the other accounting that's come out of the bankruptcy, it was, she may have made money, but it, it was Gerardi Keys funding Erica Jane. Yeah. I don't know how much money she was making off her music career, if I'm being honest, like how much of a profit she was making given how much she put in well she said she didn't make any money she's been uh, like she said that you know we're not this is she even said that on the show that the that erica yeah girardi or erica jane didn't make money and her music didn't make money yeah maybe her book i don't know she gets paid from real housewives i think that's the money yeah but that's it i mean like beyond that yeah yeah and she wasn't on the housewives for forever no this has been alleged to have been going on for years yeah and she only i think joined in 2015 so what money were you making before (laughs) like anyway when the firm couldn't fund its operations with client money it went to lenders taking out tens of millions in financing eventually though girardi keese became untouchable as a routinely delinquent debtor one creditor of girardi keese became a beneficiary of the scheme dinardo and his company california attorney lending Two. in order to make back some of the money that girardi keese had borrowed DiNardo continued to fund the firm into 2020, provided that he got first cut of settlement money coming in from Girardi Keys cases, making sure that money was paid directly to his company before it ever hit a Girardi Keys account. Okay, just one comment there. That's super yeah. illegal. It's super 
like it's a viol- well it's a violation of ethics and that's at a minimum again and this is all from uh the complaint but some of this has been proven like how in the bankruptcy the fact that the settlement money did not go into the trust account or was taken out of the trust account and then not paid to the client so we know some of that has occurred um but it's you cannot commingle funds. You can't do it again. Like we've always said, they tell you that the first day of law school, and that is like to take. I'm just speaking in an abstract here to take a client's money that they're getting because they have been injured in a catastrophic accident and pay off a lender first is just abhorrent in every possible way. And we've mentioned this in a prior episode that the trustee in the law firm bankruptcy caught on to this, we think, and requested that they produce documents in that case directly from this this lending company, California Turning Lending Number 2. This isn't the first time we've mentioned them. And I think our alarm bells, they were. They were ringing yeah, they were. when we first talked about this in our podcast. Um, so go back and listen to the Girardi update part one. I think it's episode 21. It came out back in November or October. Go back and listen to that. The, it, like the, <laughs> it's yeah. I'm so proud of us for like kind of predicting. I don't know. Well, it's the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because when we looked at this, we were like, first of all, you can't think of, I mean, just putting it in just everyday terms, think about how difficult it is to just get you know, if as an ordinary person to get a car loan or God forbid, buy a house, which is almost impossible now. And you, the fact that millions of dollars would continue to be loaned to somebody who hasn't paid you back, it's, it's, there's got it. It does make sense that there would be allegations of the lenders being complicit and saying, yeah, because it, by doing that, they were helping continue what is basically a Ponzi scheme. So that's not and that's what's in the the next paragraph yeah. when the curtain was finally pulled back it became clear that Girardi Keys operated in a manner similar to a Ponzi scheme but much worse the clients whose money the firm stole didn't just invest their cases with the firm they trusted Tom Lyra Griffin and the other lawyers of Girardi Keys to help piece their lives together these clients didn't think they were purchasing an asset risky or otherwise They thought they were buying competent legal representation to redress a horrific injury or the death of a loved one. That is a really strong sentence. Mm -hmm. And when Girardi Key's clients agreed to settle their cases, the money that belonged to them was exclusively theirs, which should only have ever been held briefly in trust before being immediately dispersed. Not a single cent of a client's money should have ever been funneled to a Girardi Key's operating account to the firm's payroll to a lender, or to an American Express bill. Oof, that paragraph is. Yeah. And just another quick point. So for any, you know, non-lawyers out there, people that aren't in law school, you know, which is probably most people, when you, at least in most states, when you go to take the bar exam, you have to... They do a credit check on you. They look into your background. You get fingerprinted. They do all of these things. And one of the things is like, if you have bad stuff on your credit report, that's an issue because you are entrusted with client money. And so you have to explain it or pay it off if that applies to you. So just they, it starts from the very beginning saying like, you are, you will be entrusted with money and you cannot, you cannot do anything with it in any way that 
would harm your client. Just like in our Girardi versus Jersey episode, Big Frank didn't, I mean, he took money out that according to the, you know, bar people he shouldn't have. And then he put it back. But like, he didn't even like nobody was even like lost their money. He just did things with the money that he wasn't supposed to. And that's why he lost his law license and without even like robbing anyone. So it's a big deal. It's a, this is, this is just atrocious. What's alleged. And then the stuff that we know happened. So you want to keep reading? Oh yeah. But time and again, so this is, and so this we're now, this is only paragraph, paragraph 11 of this complaint, but time and again, for over a decade, Girardi Keys only added to the pain and suffering of these victims doing the unthinkable for a law firm, stealing their client's money. And until recently, the firm, Tom, and his partners got away with it. In order to pull off such a brazen and lengthy scam, Girardi Keys attorneys lied to, manipulated, or bribed anyone who might reveal the scheme. Tom would leverage his larger-than-life persona, carefully curated both on-screen, and parentheses, through Erica and housewives, and off, and would wheedle and promise that anyone he owed money to would ultimately be made whole through his massive wealth and influence. When that didn't work, Tom would try to intimidate them. Tom cultivated the impression that not only was he a successful and powerful attorney, but that he actually controlled the relevant authorities, including the agency charged with disciplining attorneys, the State Bar of California. Tom deployed his wealth and celebrity status to entertain State Bar officials at lavish parties and reportedly went so far as to bribe a longtime investigator at the State Bar. And we've talked about that in, I think, our second episode where we covered Tom and Erica Girardi. So, and that is the subject of a very lengthy Los Angeles Times article. So if you want to know more about the State Bar bribery, go check that out. So do you want to talk about who these people are? We mentioned them in, in reading this, but who's, who's the, who are the defendants here? And we're going to refer to this as the cast of characters. There's numerous defendants here. The ones we're all familiar with are Erica Girardi and EJ Global LLC. And again, as we've talked about in a previous episode, that's the LLC owned exclusively by Erica and to whom the $20 million loan was accounted for and given. If you want to refresh on what that loan was and what's alleged by the trustee, listen to episode 21, Post Reunion, Tom and Erica, part one. The next person is David Lira. Lira was Tom's son-in-law, and he was a partner at Girardi Keys until May 2020. Then there's Griffin, and Griffin was an attorney at Girardi Keys. And just, just so you know, Lyra and Griffin are still working as attorneys in California, at least as far as we know, and that's what's alleged in the complaint. This is a name that I think Sessie's familiar with from studying the bankruptcy docs. I had seen it, but I wasn't quite as familiar. But his name is Chris Kamen. And we've mentioned him before. Yeah, we've talked about him before. That's Girardi Keese's chief financial officer, and he's alleged to have had specific knowledge of Girardi Keese's financial affairs, which would make sense being the CFO. Kamen supervised the accounting department and prepared checks on behalf of Girardi Keese, including client, client trust account checks and those that were used to pay for expenses incurred by Erica and EJ Global. So that was the person that we've talked about that did the detailed accounting of all of the monies that were paid by Girardi Keese into Erica, which kind of makes me wonder if maybe somebody, maybe they were annoyed at the firm that uh, whatever their salary was and Erica's getting all of this money to just roll around in spandex and sing songs. (laughs) 
kind of makes you wonder. Then the next person is George Hatcher. He owns Wrongful Death Consultants. Uh, then that company is also named Wrongful Death Consultants, Inc. Wrongful Death Consultants was formed in 2009 and is owned and controlled exclusively by George Hatcher. And then the person Sessie mentioned earlier, Joseph DiNardo. DiNardo founded Council Financial and California Attorney Lending II and controlled both companies. And then the next defendant is California Lending II, Inc. All right. So those that's the cast of characters. Those are the people that are specifically named, the people and companies that are specifically named in this complaint. And there are 10 causes of action total. Erica is only listed in two of them. She's listed in count two, which is a RICO claim, which we will talk about in detail. And then count three, which is a claim for receipt of stolen property. The first cause of action is a RICO count. And we're going to say, explain what that means and go into detail about it very shortly. But the first RICO count is against Lyra, Griffin, Kamen, and Hatcher. And that's RICO 1962C. So then the second count, and this is the one that includes Erica, is against Lyra, Griffin, Kamen, Hatcher, and wrongful death consultants, EJ Global LLC, and Erica. And that's the conspiracy version of RICO. So that's uh, section 1962D. Ceci, do you want to take over? Sure. So the third is receipt of stolen property against Lyra, Griffin, Kamen, Hatcher, Wrongful Death Consultants, EJ Global, and Erica. That's California Penal Code, <laughs> California Penal Code 496C. Next is aiding and abetting concealment of stolen property against Griffin, Lyra, Hatcher, and Wrongful Death Consultants via California Penal Code 496C. The fifth one is an equity claim against California Attorney Lending and Donardo. And again, we'll We'll go through and explain these. We may not get to some of the other claims in this episode because Rico is so detailed, but we will explain what all this stuff means in plain language. The sixth is conversion, and that's against Kamen, Griffin, Lyra, Hatcher, and wrongful death consultants. And they specifically allege that they acted with fraud or malice as defined by California Civil Code Section 3294C when they assume control and ownership over the settlement monies. Um, and so they're asking for punitive damages for that one. And then number seven is unlawful and unfair business practice against California Lending Company, Lyra and Griffin. And that's, again, under the California statutes. And then also a Consumer Legal Remedies Act against those same individuals. And then the claim of deceit, which I actually had to look up. And again, we'll talk about this later, but that's a fraudulent misrepresentation claim. I'd never heard it in any of the jurisdictions I worked in categorizes deceit before, but it's the same thing as fraudulent misrepresentation. So that's the claims. Oh, I'm sorry. Nope. There's 10. Ceci, do the 10th one. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one is deceit against Griffin. And then he is suing, or he hasn't done it yet, but should he file this, it's for $50 million against all the defendants. And that includes the money that is owed to the victims, as well as punitive damages. Yeah, and we'll talk about this. In RICO, you can get attorney's fees and treble damages, which is three times the amount of actual damages. So that's a lot of money. Okay, so we're going to start with, I guess we're going to start with RICO because that's the first count against Erica. And also RICO is just kind of really fascinating. RICO is the ac acronym for the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. 
which is codified as the Organized Crime Control Act of 1970. Congress described RICO as an act designed to prevent, and this is in quotes, known mobsters from infiltrating legitimate businesses and defined racketeering activity to include a variety of state and federal crimes. So it really was created to try to take down the the mafia. And just a little history here. RICO was part of President Nixon's sweeping Organized Crime Control Act of 1970. And it really helped aid in the prosecution of organized crime by lifting statute of limitations requirements, upping sentencing guidelines, and allowing for more elastic group conspiracy charges. And you guys have learned a lot about conspiracy and what that means and how it works from our Jen Shaw episodes, because that's what Jen Shaw is charged with. She's charged with conspiracy to commit money laundering and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Sezi, what do you just kind of think about that so far? What did you think when you first heard that there was a RICO charge against Erica? And again, this is civil. So this is a civil lawsuit. So this isn't the U.S. Attorney's Office are going after Erica. This is a civil case. I mean, I've never done a RICO claim, but I reached out to partners that are interested in Real Housewives and they were like, that is it's a really high standard to prove. It's going to there's going to be a lot that Edelson needs to prove to actually be successful on this claim. So I'm excited to learn about it with everyone else and try and figure out if I think this claim is going to survive. This is very helpful. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. And I I had some understanding of RICO charges. So I was like, wow, that's before I even had read the proposed complaint. I was like, he must have a lot of details to be able to connect her to this, or it's going to be interesting to see the facts that come out. RICO requires the government to prove that a defendant committed two of 32 types of crimes, including murder, extortion, and mail fraud at the high end over a 10-year period. If these crimes were demonstrated, then prosecutors could loop in the entire criminal enterprise and secure additional convictions of co-conspirators. So in 1979, one of the first major RICO cases targeted the motorcycle club Hell's Angels, leading to a tumultuous prosecution that illustrates the statute's immense power and serious problems, exactly what Sessie was talking about. It is a very high bar to get these types of charges to work. So I just I just thought this was fascinating. So like June 13th, 1979, 200 federal agents raided the homes of top Hells Angels members in and around Oakland, California. The Department of Justice charged 32 Hells Angels with conspiracy charges connected to a methamphetamine operation that prosecutors alleged netted $160,000 in daily street sales. So just months before the indictment, Rolling Stone journalist Howard Kahn wrote a sprawling expose of the Angels misdeeds entitled Hell's Angels, Masters of Menace, which is a great article. If this is interesting to you too, Google it and read it. So Khan's story strung together many of the crimes that would take center stage at the trial. The figure who loomed largest in Khan's reportage was Sonny Barger. Barger became a national president of the Angels in 1958. And initially fiercely right-wing, Barger made headlines in 1965 for using the Hell's Angels to break up a Berkeley anti-Vietnam War march. By the late 1960s, he was a bona fide celebrity, appearing alongside a young Jack Nicholson in the Roger Corman-produced film, 1967, Hell's Angels on Wheels. Already he's had a more successful, Hell's Angels had a more successful film career than Erica, which I thought was kind of funny. (laughs) This was fascinating to me because I think we've all watched Erica's like non-existent PR. So I was like just really interested in how this person, this Hell's Angel leader, 
was actually pretty, really good at PR. So shortly after the trial began, Barger, whose bail was set at $1 million, sat with Washington Post reporter for a defiant jailhouse interview. He attacked law enforcement as beating up poor innocent citizens, the killing of poor innocent citizens. And then he fiercely criticized the RICO statute. He said, I think this is probably the most important case that's ever come down in the history of the United States because it's a mass criminal trial. They're trying everybody for what everybody done, even though the majority of us have already been to prison for what we've done. So he's already like, I already did my prison time. I am no longer doing that. And now you're trying to pin me for everything else. Uh, one of Barger's lawyers, Frank Megan, also chimed in. This is, in essence, taking his whole life, everything he's ever done and everything bad, 31 people have ever done and throwing it all out in front of the jury. If we don't get him on this case, maybe they'll leave him alone. And then another defense attorney argued that the Angels were not a formal criminal enterprise. A lot of Angels are guilty of a lot of stuff, but they're not club activities. So the Angels took a full-page ad out in the San Francisco Chronicle um, accusing the government of using the statute to violate civil liberties. So they're immediately reframing this as infringing upon uh, civil rights and using it in the, the government way overstepping their bounds. And this was really one of the first major cases. And I know this is outside of the scope of what we normally talk about, but I think the history of this really helps illustrate like why RICO is so difficult and the, you know, why these charges require a lot of detail and a lot of information to connect everything together. So they lost that, the government lost that trial. They didn't convince the jury that there was a centralized meth distribution scheme. So which is what the chart, like the indictments depended upon. And then the government dropped the conspiracy and racketeering charges against most of the defendants, including Barger, who's celebrated by seeing his friend Willie Nelson at the Oakland Coliseum. At the show, Nelson dedicated his song Whiskey River to Barger and his wife Sharon. So this guy <laughs> has a lot of friends and managed to beat these charges. And that's, it's really pretty impressive. And it, to me, it was like the literal founding member of the Hells Angels has is better at PR than Erica. <laughs> kind of amazing to me. Um, and like I said before, he also had a, you know, Erica hasn't starred with Jack Nicholson. So, oh, and by the way, if anyone has watched Sons of Anarchy, Sonny Barger was in at least four episodes on that show, which I don't know if anyone has watched it. It's an entertaining show. I, I didn't realize that until I was doing the research for this episode. So there are some fun facts about like, as we've kind of mentioned, I think when you hear Rico, like, Sazie, do you think mob right away when you hear, like, I kind of... Yeah, yeah. I think it goes hand in hand with mob. So the government was much more successful at getting mafia charges to stick than they were for the Hells Angels. The head of the Genovese crime family was successfully prosecuted on racketeering charges in 1980. And then over the years, the government's been able to use that Rico case to or the RICO law to take down a lot more big time mafia people. Most famously, I think in the Southern District of New York, which was the prosecution spearheaded by Rudy Giuliani. More recently in 2019, there is a group that organized a campaign against Planned Parenthood that was convicted of RICO violations involving both federal and state laws. And that one was successful. And that's really interesting. I'm not going to go into detail on that. But if you want to look that up, just Google Planned Parenthood RICO if you're interested in how that worked and why those RICO charges against the organization that was attacking Planned Parenthood had succeeded. Okay, so racketeering activity is an element common to all RICO's prohibitions. Congress defined racketeering activity to include a variety of state and federal predicate crimes. 
Rico was not violated by a single short-term episode of racketeering. Rather, there must be a pattern of racketeering activity, meaning long-term organized conduct. Congress specifically designed RICO to allow inclusion of highly diversified racketeering acts that are not directly related to each other in the same RICO count. Think of the Sopranos, mortgage fraud, drug sales, loan sharking. Those crimes are not directly related to each other, but they are part of a pattern of a long-term organized conduct. Right. So this makes sense as to why, in my head, this makes sense as to why it was that Hell's Angels prosecution was unsuccessful, but the mob prosecutions were because, you know, the mafia has an organized structure. Like there's captains and soldiers and there's direct reporting and there's rules for what you can do. And it's all part of people are paying each other out. Like it's all part of the same thing. Whereas the Hell's Angels may have attracted, you know, nefarious people who sold meth, but that doesn't mean that it was organized in the way that the mafia was organized. So that kind of makes sense. And when like, just just generally like high level, Sussy, what do you think about because we've done so many episodes on the Girardi case as it's unfolded? What do you think about the Rico charges against like the law firm and the partners that and then the like just high level? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought of Erica being involved in it, nor the partners, because In everything that we've read and discussed on our podcast thus far, the partners have said that Tom was the one that had access to the trust accounts. He was the one that was doing all the accounting alongside Heyman. So it just before this, I really didn't ever think that they may have been involved in it. I think, of course, they were getting paid. They were part of the law firm. They were, you know, working on these cases, but I really didn't see it as this huge spiraling scheme that they were in on, especially because they were facing motions or they were facing contempt orders in the Lion Air case. And when they tried to defend themselves against those, the the contempt claims, they put forth evidence that they flagged to Tom how serious things were getting and that they really needed or that Tom really needed to pay, pay up. And that was before Edelson had filed anything. They were like, you need to pay these settlement funds out. You need to pay these settlement funds out. So it wasn't like they were alerted to the fact that someone was on to them. They themselves, according to their motions against the contempt charges, were like, hey, Tom, you need to do something about this. I think Lyra or one of them even said he reached out to Cayman and was like, where is this money? Like, figure it out. So if they were working in cahoots together, it just doesn't make sense to me that either one of them would have reached out to Tom with concern or Cayman. But you know, I'm not sitting there with all the evidence in front of me. So I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, before I read the details in this proposed complaint that will likely be filed soon, we're assuming, I I kind of had the same opinion. I mean, but also, I mean, I've had my own law firm and then I had a partner and we didn't keep anything from each other. You know, it's like, So I was also kind of like, well, how would they not, how would they not know what was going on or how would they not see? But now I kind of am like, okay, I could see a Rico charge against them and like the lenders that were lending them money that they shouldn't have lended to keep the scheme kind of going or whatever. So, because it's, it's happening over and over again and it is organized. Like Tom was at the head supposedly. And then there's these other people that are facilitating it. So I can see kind of the organized combined structure. 
it, so it kind of makes sense, but I, I, again, this is us talking before we've read the complaint. So it's like, yeah, I guess like, yeah, where does, where's the line between it being a law firm, which has its own structure and a, a set structure where you have someone managing it and where does it turn into a whole scheme? with all of them, you know, like, I right. think it's a fine line. And Edelson is going to have to prove that it was a huge scheme instead of just a natural functioning law firm, which it was not a, a properly functioning law firm. But there is a structure in a law firm. So yeah, like, I don't know anything about the money. <laughs> I'm not a partner. But like, you know, I don't know the nitty gritty about who's getting paid out from where and where the settlement trust and you know, right. So Right. And you wouldn't you wouldn't work somewhere where you believed that you were facilitating, you know, something illegal. So there's like there's nothing again, like there's nothing illegal about an organized structure. It's only if the organized structure is used to facilitate crimes. So there's nothing inherently illegal about the organized structure of a motorcycle club unless that organized structure is used to facilitate crimes. It's an it's an interesting way of like thinking about what's happened here. And it's just it's just it just and also the facts in this case are just shocking. Like they're shocking. So let's talk about Rico. So I want to like I think we should go through the elements, the basic elements and then talk about what facts are in the complaint that play into those elements that provide support for those for the specific Rico elements. So first, Edelson will have to prove that by a preponderance of the evidence and Ceci, do you want to explain what preponderance of the evidence means? Because we should probably give a refresher on that. Yeah. So preponderance of the evidence is one type of evidentiary standard used in a burden of proof analysis. Under the standard, it's you convince the fact finder, so either the jury or the judge, if it's a bench trial, that there is a greater than 50 percent chance that the claim is true. And that's the burden of proof in every civil trial. So it's 51% versus 49. All you need is 51% to prove that it's true. Yeah. Or you have to prove it by 51%. It doesn't have to be 100% true, just 51%. Which is a way, way lower burden than beyond a reasonable doubt. It's it, We've mentioned this before, but think about how O.J. Simpson was found not guilty in the criminal trial, but then in the civil trial, he was found liable for the deaths. So, it, you know, it's like you think about zero... 0% sure to 100% sure, you just have to be halfway sure plus one <laughs> mm -hmm. for preponderance of the evidence. So it's a much lower burden. So there has to be an underlying conspiracy, and that has to be shown. And so that's the conspiracy that is alleged against Griffin, Lyra, all those other people that we mentioned. Before we jump into the elements of the Rigo claim specifically alleged against Erica, I think we should step back and explain that there are four different claims under RICO. So one is investment of racketeering income in an enterprise. Two, acquisition or control of an enterprise due to a pattern of racketeering activity, operation of a RICO enterprise, and RICO conspiracy. So Erica is being not charged. This isn't criminal. The claim against Erica that Edelson is filing is the last one, the RICO conspiracy, and the specific name of it is conducting the affairs of an enterprise through a common pattern of racketeering activity. So I just wanted to clarify, that's why many of the defendants in Edelson's claim are under one of the four, and Erica is under 
a separate one of the four. I guess just to to clarify, so there's two racketeering charges here. Erica's only involved in one. Can you high level explain the differences? So the first RICO count is against Lyra, Griffin, Cameron, and Hatcher. And so that is, just to recall who those people are, David Lyra is the partner at Girardi Keys, Griffin's the attorney, an attorney at Girardi Keys, and then Chris Cameron is the chief financial officer. So those people were really involved in the business operations and all the stuff that was going on at Girardi Keys. So that's the initial... Oh, I'm sorry. And then also Hatcher, who owns Wrongful Death Consultants. And so that's the the lender. So this lender and then the partners and then the chief financial officer are in the conspiracy that's alleged to have exist for the purpose of, you know, defrauding the clients and conversion and all this other stuff. So that's the first one. So but Erica is the conspiracy charge against her is the one that is the conspiracy to conduct the affairs of the enterprise. So basically saying, here's the people in the first count that I talked about, the the partner, the attorney, the chief financial officer and the lender, they did the, the stuff. They did the stuff. So they're the ones that are actually going out. Because obviously Erica wasn't getting, she's not a lawyer. She's not a part of the law firm. She wasn't taking, you know, she wasn't actively doing those particular things. So what Erica is alleged to be part of is the conspiracy to conduct the affairs of the enterprise, basically, that she knew of the conspiracy, she benefited from it, and she facilitated it. And then he, you know, however it comes out, she may have committed some acts to be part of it. So just like we talked about with Jen Shaw, like, it doesn't matter that Jen Shaw didn't actually get on the phone and, you know, scam people in the telemarketing scheme she was, they alleged that Jen is in charge of the whole thing. Here, they're not saying Erica was in charge of the whole thing. They're saying she knew about it and she facilitated it and, or she potentially committed multiple acts and that this benefited her. So that's the difference, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's helpful. That does make sense. I just pulled the uh, federal civil jury instructions and California's in the Ninth Circuit. They literally had a link to the Eleventh Circuit instructions saying these are helpful. And so I said, thank you, Ninth Circuit. And I looked at the 11th Circuit instructions. So I pulled those out and kind of started filling them out the way they might be filled out for um, a jury trial in this case. So the charge against Erica is the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organization. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Act again, Rico, and the title of that is Conspiracy to Conduct the Affairs of the Enterprise. So Edelson has brought a claim against Erica and EJ Global for allegedly violating Rico. Edelson specifically claims that Erica and EJ Global conspired to violate Rico. And then at this point, the jury will have already heard the instructions for 1962C, which is the other RICO charge. And so the jury will have to decide if Edelson is proved by a preponderance of the evidence whether two or more defendants engaged in a conspiracy to violate RICO 1962C. If they find that, then they can go on and they can find the following facts. So we're going to talk about fact one. And that is, first, you must find that two or more people agreed to try to accomplish an unlawful plan to engage in a pattern of racketeering activity. Now, Sessies explained what racketeering means, how that's defined. There's a ton of state and federal crimes that can be alleged. But what is the pattern of racketeering that is alleged here in this case? I guess it would just be the scheme that we read at the beginning of opening up this. So the scheme of Tom getting clients, taking their money, funding it with other money, you know? Yeah. So I th- like in the complaint, Edelson refers to it as the Girardi family enterprise, saying they stole over, and this amount is blanked out, dollars from the the amount, the actual amounts redacted, because I think that's still confidential under the bankruptcy, but that the, and he refers to it as the Girardi family enterprise stole over however many millions of dollars from the Lion Air clients through the scheme. So there's also numerous predicate acts mentioned, which is what we're talking about here. So mail fraud, wire fraud, money laundering, engaging in monetary attractions derived from specified unlawful activity. So if taking the money that was supposed to go to the Lion Air clients, and then using that for other unlawful activity, transportation of stolen goods, all of this stuff. So there's all these predicate acts alleged that have been claimed to have been done by the Girardi family enterprise. So that's the jury has to find that two or more people agreed to try to accomplish this unlawful plan. And from what's been alleged about this Ponzi scheme type plan, it definitely did take more than just Tom Girardi to get this done, according to what's alleged in the complaint. So then they have to find that a defendant agreed to the overall objective of the conspiracy. Or as an alternative, you find that a defendant agreed with at least one other defendant to commit two predicate acts as part of the conspiracy. So again, this is this is a lot. This is a lot for a jury to have to do. This is like even just these first two things. It's a lot to have to figure out how to do this. And these are the jury instructions that are written for anybody should be able to like understand them and apply them. Ideally, that's how jury instructions are supposed to be written. So either they're going to have to prove that Erica agreed to the overall objective of the conspiracy or 
that she conspired with at least one other defendant to commit two predicate acts as part of the conspiracy. What can we look at from the complaint to see what might apply to those? To Erica? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what Edelson is saying is that it was her trying to get more clients. So she was like going on the show and being like, Girardi Keese is an excellent law firm. She wasn't outright saying, hire him. He's a great attorney. Well, she did to Denise. No, she, I feel like she did on the show. Like, you think she did? I feel like she was very like, uh, I mean, we watched Erica be essentially effusive with praise about Tom on the mm-hmm. show and saying, you know, he's literally referring to him as the best attorney that there ever was and that he's so successful. Now, obviously, Erica can just say, well, he was my husband. So why yeah. wouldn't I say that? But it's also he's saying she did that. And then I think he also alleges taking the money, like the, yeah. the money. Yeah. yeah. Then, there's, you know, so there's two predicate acts. So she's helping launder money or like helping, you know, receiving stolen goods or whatever it is. So that's that there could be two predicate acts alleged. Was there anything in the complaint that you read about what's alleged against Erica that you thought was like particularly like juicy or striking? I mean, it's a lot of what we've talked about before, especially specific to the $25 million in credit card charges and invoices that she was given from the law firm. And it just goes on to explain that it was to pay the glam squad, talent professionals, image consultants, etc. And that she also had specific knowledge that the credit card bills and invoices that she submitted to Jurati Keys. Oh, so she submitted her credit card statements yeah. to the law firm, according to this. And... Therefore, she had specific knowledge for at least 12 years that all of her expenses were being paid by the Girardi firm family enterprise. So I guess this, everyone always asks whether Erica knew. Edelson believes Erica did know. Yeah, he says uh, Tom and Erica Girardi purposefully portrayed themselves to the public as an extremely wealthy Beverly Hills power couple. But I mean, just that one sentence, like, yeah, you know, there's lots of people that do that. That doesn't. There's nothing illegal about portraying yourselves as an extremely wealthy power couple. Um, and then it says when Erica joined the cast of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills in 2015, she dazzled viewers by showing off their extravagant lifestyle and her exorbitant spending habits. I mean, just going into Real Housewives history. I mean, Erica's the one that really started the Glam Squad, isn't she? Did anybody have a Glam yeah, Squad? Yeah, I hated her? that. I didn't Can like she it either. Not? Yeah. Can we take that back <laughs> or like reverse that? I don't. I'm not into it. I mean, I I really like looks, and I I love it when you know Dorit shows up in a look, and I find Erica's I found Erica's looks entertaining until I came to understand that they were likely derived from. Um, stolen property according to the allegations and some of the stuff that's been proven but it's yeah so she was she really turned up like the level on the real housewives spending and it seemed like then everyone else started showing up with glam squads and doing that kind of thing so they specifically mentioned her exorbitant spending habits the never-ending parade of designer clothes high-end jewelry her two hundred fifty thousand dollar lamborghini hurricane her you know glam squad which we've talked about and so spending money was really her personality. And then he quotes from her book, Pretty Mess. So Erica readily bragged that she has the advantage of a strong checkbook and even discussed her and Tom's finances. Now, the haters are always going to say, this is a quote from Erica's book, all you do is spend your husband's money. First of all, it's our money. Know how I know? Because the IRS tells us that it is. My name is on the tax return too. 
And I think, Ceci, you brought this up on a previous podcast episode, the stuff she talked about in her book. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's all just in summary, just saying that, you know, she really was relying on her platform to kind of get this to keep going. I mean, I don't, I think I agree with it to an extent, but Tom was a name in California before Erica was on The Real Housewives. Like, he has been a force in California for class action plaintiff's lawsuits. So I don't know. But I guess I guess it doesn't really matter. I guess what he's trying to say, it's like she made it bigger. Like she made it so he got more clients and she directly benefited from it. So so he, he's I mean, so in paragraph 56 of the complaint, they specifically allege that while Tom, Cameron, Lyra, Griffin and Hatcher directed and managed the affairs of the Girardi family enterprise, Erica knew of the scheme, intended to participate in it and critically to share in its profits, both directly and through her wholly owned company, EJ Global. And by wholly owned, they mean Erica was the sole owner of EJ Global LLC. And so you're saying, but despite despite her public claims that she and Tom were spending their own money, financial records show that more than 25 million of her own expenses were paid by Girardi Keese. So that's, I think, a big issue here. They also talk about in the complaint that, and our, our Reddit friends will be proud of themselves for this, those documents that she allegedly signed that have her name on them, have her signature on them for those lenders um, saying that she would waive her right to the homes, you know, the homestead, like the, the homestead house. exemption. Yeah. yeah. So that she, she like saying that she signed those. So she obviously knew that they were out of money and then she signed those to facilitate the scheme to continue so that she, they could still get money in to keep the Ponzi scheme going. So that's one of the big things that they allege. So they also talked about, what did you think about what he was saying about them? He says, money begins to run out and Erica obfuscates to the media. Because I think that's another way that they're alleging that she is part of this conspiracy. Yeah. So I guess it's, yeah, it's three ways. So like we just talked about the first two. First is she was on her platform trying to get more clients or like praising him and praising the law firm. So then thus praising the scheme or trying to get more people to be victims of the scheme. The second was directly benefiting from it by getting her bills paid. And then the third is that she was hiding the scheme by being like downplaying the lawsuits. And we talked about that at the beginning, like on Watch What Happens Live, where she was like, I can't comment on it. And then she lied and said that someone had to apologize to Tom because they got it wrong or something. It's like, oh, gosh. Yeah, they they quote her in the um in the complaint. So they says additionally, Erica tried to, to brush off the law finance group lawsuit saying, listen, we're in the lawsuit business, baby. We sue and get sued. So like being like, whatever, this isn't a thing. And then they talk about the March 27th, 2019 appearance on watch what happens live. And so a fan asks Erica, if she feels the need to cut back on her glam squad, since her husband is being sued for a huge amount of money. So Andy Cohen acknowledged that they get a lot of questions about this and asked Erica if there's anything she would like to say. And Erica replied, um, yeah, it's a lawsuit and you can't comment on it. But then added, I pay my own bills. So no, I don't. And he says, you know, at the time, Erica did not pay her own bills and her lifestyle is being funded entirely by Tom's law firm, which is exactly what that lawsuit was alleging. So, I mean, that lawsuit was saying that they were using 
client funds and law firm funds. And that, that's why Erica was named in that lawsuit. And that's exactly what was happening. He's saying, you know, she's lying on TV about what was going on. And then a few months later, there's the other lawsuit, which was the Stilla Madison lawsuit that specifically alleged that Tom had misappropriated the loan to support his and Erica's high-end lifestyle. So you can see like the difference between the lenders here. There's the lenders that are filing lawsuits saying, we loaned you this money to fund a lawsuit, which is a thing that happens when you're a plaintiff's attorney. So lawsuits are expensive. You have to hire experts, pay for you know depositions, court fees, whatever. Like, and sometimes the experts are really expensive in these catastrophic injuries. So if you are a successful attorney, you'll go to a you know, a legal lender, and they will loan you money based on basically you're betting on yourself saying, I believe I'm going to win this. And then the lender believes that you have the assets to pay for it, even if you don't, but we'll go ahead and front you the money for it. These lenders were saying, hey, you're not using this money for the lawsuits, you're using them for Erica Jane. And that's not what we loaned you the money for. So this is, you know, bad, and we're suing you for it. So yeah. So just to close the loop here, you're saying you can kind of see the difference between the two types of lenders here. Not that there are only two. There are many litigation lenders he was using. But the two types, the ones that are suing Tom directly, that are creditors in the bankruptcy, that are like, hey, we need our loans paid. You used our loans inappropriately. Pay us back. And then there are the other types of litigation lenders, like the co-defendants in this draft complaint that we're talking about where Edelson claims that they knew what was going on. They kept funneling Tom money in order to be a part of the scheme. Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why they're letting this go ahead and go, because it's doing some of the work. It's, it's going to help. It's the same type of case. So it's like it's not impeding the bankruptcy case. It's actually helping facilitate, get more information out and moving it, helping it move forward as opposed to delaying or impeding it. So I think that's one of the reasons why they let it go ahead and go forward during the bankruptcy. But we should note that Tom isn't in this lawsuit or the draft complaint, even though he's the subject of the bankruptcies and several other lawsuits. Edelson has not put Tom Girardi on this draft complaint. Why do you think? Because he's he's already said he's going to take the fifth on everything. So that's kind of a waste of time. Probably. Also, he's under a conservatorship. I just, and it's, they could amend the complaint after they file it and add him later. But I, I just, I think Edelson's trying to just be efficient. And so having, obviously, Tom's involved in all of this, it's he's going after the people that can actually help solve the problem and provide answers, I think, as opposed to there's no point in throwing effort after foolishness. He's already spending his own money and his own firm's money, you know. It's a, mm -hmm. filing this. And so if they even if they named him, yes, he could still probably give testimony, but it might honestly just slow things down. And he's not practicing anymore. He's been disbarred. He is, as far as we know, still in a home and he's under conservatorship. So he's not a danger to anyone anymore. And again, this is a civil case. I just feel like he's being pragmatic, probably, about it. All right. So that was the first element of the... RICO claim? Well, it's kind of mixed because the second element is that a defendant agreed to the overall objective of the conspiracy, or the second element can be that the defendant agreed with at least one other defendant to commit two predicate acts as part of the conspiracy. So okay. they're so kind we've of gone through the first two ish. Yeah. And yeah. So it's, he's kind of alleging both, saying, 
Erica, like to me, kind of one of the more damning things is the fact that she knew she was named in one of those lawsuits by the lenders, which is alleging that the money from the lenders was going to pay her expenses. And then because she signs her tax returns and then submits her credit card bills, she knew that the money was going to EJ Global and she's the sole owner of EJ Global. So it was going to her. It was benefiting her. So I feel like that the fact that she was, she didn't, it's not like she left right away when she was like, oh shit, my husband's using money that he got from a legal lender for a catastrophic lawsuit to fund that, to help people in order to pay, you know, he's using that money that's supposed to be used for that thing to pay for me. I, that, that's not great. That's, and that's, no. that seemed to be, you know, some evidence that she was aware of this general conspiracy that Edelson has alleged. What do you think? I still think that she, I think the extent of her knowledge was that she was getting payments from the law firm and maybe from the lending companies now that this is being alleged by Edelson. But I don't think she knew that settlement victims weren't being paid, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. To the extent that the conspiracy here is to fund her lifestyle using law firm funds that she shouldn't be taking. I agree with that. I I can see that if, you know, from this complaint. But I don't think it goes as deep as like stealing money from victims. Like her knowledge, I don't think it goes that deep. I don't think she was like on Housewives for the purpose of getting more victims to steal money from. I think she was on it to get more clients for Tom to then take that money for herself. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes that makes sense to me. But I guess like it can still be a Rico. It could still be like this whole conspiracy and this whole scheme, even without that part even without that knowledge piece of knowing that Tom was not paying his clients, right? So just misappropriating yeah. client fund, like even just commingling or when you get money for one thing and it's supposed to go to this specific thing and then not using it for that and then giving it to someone else when you know you can't pay it back without, you know, additional money or using trust. Like, so it's, it's complicated, but... I see I see where I see where where it's going. But I like mm-hmm. you, I haven't seen any direct evidence that she knew she was getting settlement money that was stolen from client trust accounts. I mean, in her head, even if she knew it was a loan, she's like, well, whatever, Tom will pay the loan back. It doesn't matter. He has plenty of money. Like, I don't care. I, I don't know. I mean, it, as <laughs> being a married person myself, that would raise a lot of alarm bells in my, I mean, first of all, I wouldn't do that anyway, because I'm an attorney and I know better, but then just like being married. And if my husband took out a, like a huge multi-million dollar loan and then is giving me money from his law firm, like to fund my equestrian hobby, then I would have a lot of concerns and be like, well, maybe we should sell the horse, you know, <laughs> it's a, but yeah, like we've always said, Erica didn't care. And I don't think Erica was smart enough to know what was going on, to be honest. I don't know. I have got so. questions now. I think she felt like he was untouchable when we hear her talk about, you know, he helped a lot of people. She wasn't, I don't believe for one second she was talking about victims. She was talking about, like, who knows what else he could have done with in like, you know, bribes, political stuff, whatever. If he was willing to do this. Yeah. I, there's got to be so much stuff that we don't know about. But again, that's just conjecture and speculation, opinion, whatever. I'm not saying I know any of that. I'm just saying, like, thinking about it, that's, it's like, it, this is, it's because like, it always seems like when you, this is just the facts of, like, what we know for sure are so bad. 
then what do we like? What do we not know? Okay, so here's one thing from the jury instructions that I thought was helpful. Now that we've talked about all that, so Erica EJ Global can engage in a RICO conspiracy even if they didn't agree to the overall objective. We talked about that, and then there can be find they can find the jury could find a violation of the civil RICO statute just by the two predicate acts. We've talked about that. Also, the conspiracy's existence can be inferred from the participant's conduct. So it wasn't until I read this that I was like, oh, Mm. this is actually a stronger claim than I thought. So the conspiracy's existence can be inferred from a participant's conduct, but a defendant must objectively manifest through words or actions EJ Global's or Erica's agreement to participate in the enterprise's affairs. Edelson doesn't have to show that the alleged members of the conspiracy entered into any express or formal agreement or that they directly stated the details of the scheme, its object or purpose, or the precise means by which the object or purpose was to be accomplished. Edelson doesn't have to establish all the means or methods alleged to carry out what all the means or methods alleged to carry out the alleged conspiracy were, in fact, agreed upon, or that the means or methods were agreed on or were actually used or put into operation. And Edelson doesn't have to prove that all persons alleged to be conspiracy members were actually members or that alleged conspirators succeeded in accomplishing their unlawful objectives. So that's, and I'm sorry if that was like kind of uh, difficult to understand because that's a lot, but these are the 11th Circuit model pattern jury instructions that I'm reading from. So you can see like it's a lot broader actually and it's like thinking about it in terms of the hell's angels reference like they didn't have to prove that every single hell's angel like they they all sat down and talked about it and you can also see why this is like much the mafia is like a much easier case because they do like the way the mafia especially is portrayed in the media like what we know of it it is an agreement it is an organization and you know when you join the mafia that you are agreeing to assist in whatever they ask you to do. And that, you know, according to the portrayals we've seen on TV, it's not legal activities. So that's, it's, but it's way broader than I thought it was. Just the fact that it can be inferred from their conduct. I mean, what do you think that, that means here? I guess it makes it easier to prove against Erica if everything is true. So I guess, like, does this mean that they only have to prove that Erica was in this conspiracy. They don't have to prove that these other defendants were in it to get a successful. No, so like for the claim against her, for the, for the claim against Erica, they have to prove that a conspiracy existed. Like so, like the other conspiracy that's alleged, the other conspiracy charge, they have to prove that there is a conspiracy, and then they have to prove that you know Erica conspired to promote the conspiracy to assist with it or whatever. It's yeah, it's like there's so much case law. Like I picked up a treatise on this and it was like 600 pages. So it's just a lot because every single element, there's case law in different, you know, circuits or whatever. But I tried to focus on just what the jury instructions would potentially maybe say in this case. So, I mean, I think seeing like the bookkeeper makes sense. And then, you know, mm-hmm. what they've alleged about Lyra and Griffin. So there's that conspiracy. And then there's the fact that Erica knew that, according to the documents and the complaint, that they were getting, you know, big loans from lenders, which Gerardi Key shouldn't have needed. I mean, they, he was actually bringing in tons of money. So if it wasn't like the Ponzi scheme and if he'd actually been paying out clients what they were supposed to get, that you really shouldn't need. Somebody's making, I mean, think about it. 
if an attorney is making as much money as Girardi was supposedly making, why would you ever need a legal lender? You could self-fund, mm-hmm. you know, like if you can, if you can, if, like, why? Like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I mean, and a lot of times his cases would settle before even depositions, you know, it's just like he was so powerful having his name on it. So like, why would you need, you know, it's just like living so far beyond the right. means. And then, uh, you know, and I could see how maybe he did it once, like he made the, all this money. And then he's like, well, I've got another settlement coming in two months from now that's going to cover all this. So I can take this out, this money out and do whatever I want with it and then use that money. And it probably worked, you know, several times. And then he, it just, he kept doing it. But the fact that the bookkeeper and some of the specific things alleged in this complaint against the partners, it does seem like they, you know, I could see, I can, I can see Edelson's arguments on this. So for one thing, the firm stopped holding third-party insurance because no one would give them a policy based on the number of malpractice suits. There were 45 suits against Tom for malpractice alone. I, that's shocking. Uh, Law 360 definitely reported on that. So if you have a Law 360 account, they did a really cool interactive where they put like what the outcome was of those cases and how he kept getting away with it. He would settle those even, Tom. Yeah. Just to like keep going. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're a part of the firm and you know that the named partner has been sued that many times, 45 times, I mean, I don't know how long Tom's been practicing law. How long did he practice law? Was it it's a couple times a year, once a year at least? I don't know if you just like spread it out over all the years. That's a lot. Like it's a big deal to be sued for malpractice at all. That's that's a lot. So I can I can I can really see the conspiracy allegations and it's like a different way of looking at like what should be a legal operation, but they were using the law firm structure and the trust accounts and all of that to commit crimes to take money mm-hmm. that's not theirs. So I can I don't know, I can I can see that. We talked about you know, how it's actually broader than we thought it would be. And that there doesn't have to be like a stated agreement, like, yeah, we're going to commit these crimes together as part of an organized thing. There isn't like a contract or they don't actually have to say that and how it can be, the conspiracy can be inferred from their conduct. But it isn't enough if the evidence shows only that the alleged conspirators agreed to commit the acts of racketeering Edelson alleges, or that they agreed to participate in the affairs of the same alleged enterprise. It doesn't matter that the alleged conspirators participated in the conduct of the affairs of the alleged enterprise through different or dissimilar acts of racketeering activity, as long as the alleged racketeering acts would, if actually committed, create a pattern of racketeering activity, as the court will define it. So... I think seeing over and over again a pattern of settlement money coming in and then clients not being paid. I mean, what we just saw on the, if all everything on the Hulu special, the housewife and the hustler was true, that would be a pattern of racketeering activity. Like it would fit the elements. And then it says in the jury instructions, a defendant can become a member of a conspiracy without knowing all of the unlawful schemes details or without knowing the names and identities of all the other alleged conspirators. So I I looked at this as like, okay, he's added Erica and Erica can say, I don't even know who's on the firm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It didn't have anything to do with me. It's Tom's law firm. Well, it doesn't, this doesn't matter if you, if they can prove the other stuff. It doesn't matter that she didn't know all of the details of it. And so if Edelson proves by a preponderance of the evidence that Erica EJ Global knowingly joined the alleged conspiracy, it doesn't matter that they didn't participate in the alleged conspiracy or the scheme's earlier stages. So like you were saying, Ceci, like Tom was successful and has, is alleged to have been doing this long before 
Erica joined Housewives or even knew who she was, it doesn't matter. So if you join, just like if you if you join the mafia later, it doesn't matter that you didn't participate in the you know mafia's activities beforehand or the creation of it or whatever. It doesn't matter. So that's not that part is not a defense. But she has to have knowingly joined it. So I think that's important. So she has to have known that okay, EJ Global, Erica Jane, they're getting this money and it's not money they should be getting or using. Like and then to continue to participate in it. What do you think about that? I think we talked about this earlier. I think through virtue of the alleged fact that she knew that they were paying for her credit card bills. I think that covers it. Yeah. So and then signing the the stuff to the loan. The lenders, yeah. yeah. Which I think she claims she didn't sign. And our our we love our Reddit sleuths who are comparing the signatures from the card that she signed for Vanderpump. <laughs> I thought she never challenged that she didn't sign it. I thought she just left it alone. I remember we went through this in another episode. Oh, well, that was the bankruptcy stuff. So she denied all of the claims, but I think it wasn't clear whether she was specifically denying that it was her signature or not. Yeah. I don't think she was like, I didn't sign it. Yeah. And so, but it's also, (laughs) you know, okay, the instructions go on to say a person who doesn't have knowledge of a conspiracy, but who happens to act in a way that advances some object conspiracy does not become a conspirator. So, I mean, she can just claim, look, it was on Real Housewives. It's my job to show off like what I was doing. I had no knowledge of this. Okay, I, re- you know, EJ Global received money from the firm, but I had no idea. Like, of you know, I didn't understand any of it, whatever. So that obviously is going to be something that could be claimed in defense. However, if she is found to be a member of the conspiracy, then all of the everybody's acts, you're just as you're guilty <laughs> of furthering the conspiracy. So if they find a conspiracy didn't exist, then Erica is off the hook. But if the conspiracy did exist, then you have to determine who the members of the conspiracy were. So they have to say like, okay, these people we agree were actually involved. And then you have to decide. So like the third thing for a RICO charge is that it's not enough that all of this occurred. The injury being alleged, the damages being alleged have to have come from the actual conspiracy, the RICO conspiracy. So that's the next thing. And here the damages would be the victims not receiving their money. Which, I mean, Edelson is, like, stepping into their position and Mm -hmm. filing on behalf of them. But it would be, yeah, them not receiving the settlement funds that they were owed from the Lion Air settlement. Right. Yeah. And I think I feel like there might be more direct evidence of that specific thing because it's obvious, like, they didn't get their money because Tom didn't give it to him like he was supposed to. Like the federal judge in Mm -hmm. Chicago said, it's really easy. The money came in. It should go to the victims as it was supposed to. Like, there's no... Nothing difficult about this. So that's like a, you know, that's clear. But the issue is, does it involve Erica? And but she- also, I, w- I want to flag, like, this is just one settlement of many that weren't paid, you know? Right. So this is just one case's victims. And they're like the minors, like minor people, like under 18. <laughs> and it's just these victims. These are only their claims. So only their damages. I'm just trying to say this because there could be so much more that comes out of this. You know, there could be so many other, Mm -hmm. I believe, RICO claims with totally a totally different set of damages against these same people. Right. So, you know, like the the breast cancer. Right. People. Gomez 
Rigomez, right. yeah, for example, could be filing the same stuff. You know, I mean, he's already been paid out, right? Could he still file his? No, I mean, if he would have damages, so yeah, I don't think he has damages anymore because but... he he was way at the top of mm-hmm. the creditors, which is great. So yeah, but if he wasn't, he could have his own RICO claims against these same people. So it's just interesting to put it into context. I think for everyone, like this is just one case. You know, yeah. it's only just one group of victims. Yeah. Okay. So just just to review, because I know that was a lot of stuff. So Edelson has to prove the conduct of an enterprise through a pattern of racketeering activity known as predatory acts causing injury to Edelson's business or property or to the victims by the conduct constituting the violation. So that's the underlying one. So that's the underlying RICO case, which I think is probably actually fairly, this is not the one that involves Erica, this is actually probably pretty strong showing if he can prove all of these things that he's alleged in the complaint, proving that the business manager, the CFO, Girardi, and then Lyra and whoever else, and then the lenders were all conspiring to keep this going. So, and I mean, the lenders had, they wanted it to keep going because they wanted him to still have lawsuits and still have a law firm or else they would never get paid back. So they also had, you know, incentive to do that. Otherwise, like what would be their incentive to continue loaning him money? I don't know. So do you want to, it defines an enterprise. Do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, so an enterprise includes any individual, partnership, corporation, association, or other legal entity, and any union or group of individuals associated in fact, although not a legal entity. The definition is not very demanding. RICO does not require that either the racketeering enterprise or the predicate acts of the racketeering be motivated by an economic purpose. So yeah, there. I mean, so he's like Edelson has categorized this as the Girardi family enterprise, and then included Erica in one of the RICO charges. So just to close that out, I think the reason it's important to talk about the definition legally of an enterprise is because, amongst the other defenses that we've kind of touched on that Erica could raise, she could raise, or any of the co-defendants could raise, that this was not an enterprise, and it has to be racketeering amongst an enterprise to be a RICO claim under the statute. So in this episode, we've talked about, and maybe in too much detail, I hope you guys liked it, but we've talked about the history of RICO, you know, who the cast of characters are in this complaint, and then given you listed out the other charges. And then we've tried to give you like a high level of what RICO is and how it works and how those could possibly, those elements could potentially apply to Erica. There, we haven't even gotten to the receipt of stolen property with regard to Erica yet and some of the other details in this, which are really, really interesting. So in the next episode we'll, that we do on this, we'll give you more info on all of that and then also talk about, you know, so we've talked about two. This is this, this episode has been two of the 10 counts and we've only talked about two of them. So we'll give you more info on the rest of the counts. Thanks, guys. The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Mom? 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network.